Well, a few weeks ago, we started off this series with the idea that we all want better. And that's a big assumption, but I think that that is the thumbprint of God up on our hearts and our souls. There's something inside each of us, and sometimes it gets buried deep inside of us, but there's something inside of everyone that wants better. We want to be better. We want to do better. We want to live better, feel better, believe better, uh, parent better, forgive better, respond better. Whatever it is, we want better. And the good news of this series has been this right here, that better is possible, and it can actually begin today. Uh, And that means that today is your opportunity, and that means that today is my opportunity. Uh, It's my only opportunity, your only opportunity to change what needs to be changed, to do what needs to be done, to say what needs to be said. That's, That's why I keep on coming back each and every week saying today is the most important day of your life. Today is the most important day of my life. Today, it's all we have. And if we're gonna move in the right direction, if we're gonna move towards better, it has to start today because it's all we have. Now, when you think about the power of today and you think about the importance of today, I want you to flash forward to just right before you take your last breath on your last day. And at the end of your life and at the end of my life, our lives will be nothing more and nothing less than what we did with all of the todays that we were fortunate enough to have. So sooner or later in your life and my life, all the todays, all the present moments, this is all we have. All of those are gonna be put together and are gonna form a cohesion story, a cohesive story that's gonna tell the story of your life and my life. And when we get to the end of this life and we get to the end of all of our todays, we're gonna wish that we'd lived the type of life that Jesus offered or experienced the type of life that Jesus offered. Jesus said, if you're gonna follow me, I'm offering you the opportunity to have a rich and satisfying life. I mean, who doesn't wanna get to the end and look back over their life and say, you know what? It's been a rich and satisfying life. And that's what Jesus said in John 10. He says, follow me and I'm gonna give you a rich and satisfying life. I'm gonna give you an abundant life. I'm gonna give you a grand life that is so big, it spills out and spills over into the lives of the people who are around you. And that's the type of life ultimately we all hope to live, rich and satisfying, abundant, grand, a type of life that just bubbles up and it spills over into the lives of other people and other people's lives are better because of our life. That's the type of life that we're gonna want then. And if we want that type of life then when we look back over our lives and all the past yesterdays of our lives, then we better start thinking about what we're going to do today because every single one of us on some level, we know that there's more to life than just existing. There's more to life than just being successful. I mean, everybody wants to be successful and there's nothing wrong with that, but there's more to life than being successful. There's nothing wrong with making a living. There's nothing wrong with making a really good living, but there's more to life surely than just making a living. And every single person, we understand this on some level. We want our lives to count don't we? We want our lives to have mattered. Uh, We want to get to the end of our life and look back and think, you know what? It made a difference that I was alive. My days made a difference. I I strove for something beyond just success. I I wanted significance because who just wants success without significance? I I wanted a life of significance. I want a life that counts. I want a life that matters because in the absence of those things, your life and my life becomes cold. It becomes empty. It becomes boring. And sooner or later, it becomes void of all passion and purpose. And a life without passion attached to purpose is a hollow and shallow experience. It is what we would call in this series, a lesser life, not a 
better life. So today I, I want you to think about the fact that this better life that you want and I want and we all want, what if it's actually easier to have than what you might think? You know, we could talk about sacrifice and we could talk about grit, we could talk about discipline, we could talk about all of those things which are necessary components of a better life, but, but let's just talk about the low-hanging fruit for just a moment. Let's talk about the cookies on the bottom shelf. Let's talk about something that might be easier than you think that will ultimately make your life better. It's not something too difficult. It's not something beyond you. It's not something that you're not qualified for, but this is something that you can do today that will begin to allow you to move towards actually having a better life. What if, what if, let me ask you a question. What if, what if one of the best and quickest ways to take a step towards having a better life is to take a step towards giving someone else a better day? Could it be that simple? Could, could, it, could it be just that, that if I want to have a better life, that one of the major steps that I could take, one of the first steps that I could take, one of the easy first steps that I could take is actually just trying to give someone else a better day. And in giving someone else a better day, is it actually possible that in some way, in some consequence of that choice, that I end up with a better life? Well, that's what I wanna to talk to us about today. Something that we can all do that will make somebody else's day better and consequently make our lives better as well. It's something that's simple, but yet it makes a profound difference. It has the power to change a life and it has the power to even save a life. I mean, think about that. I mean, I mean, we could go through life and talk about a lot of things that we could do or should do, but imagine being an individual, being a man or a woman or a college student or a high school student that you used your today to change someone's life. I mean, to think about that, that you change someone's life and maybe even a step beyond that, you saved someone's life. Now this thing that can change a life and save a life, it can be done by anyone, anytime, anywhere. Anyone, anytime, anywhere. Doesn't require any special training. So there's no follow-up classes to today's content. It doesn't require a special spiritual experience. It doesn't even require any kind of professional experience. It doesn't require that at all. It doesn't even require a particular type of personality. So whether you're introverted or extroverted or somewhere in the middle, certain days you're one way or the other, it doesn't matter what your personality is, doesn't matter what your gifts are, doesn't matter what your IQ may be. Anyone, anywhere, anytime. You can change a life, you can save a life. You can make someone's day better. And in the process, it will make your life better. So what, did it, what is it we're gonna talk about? It, it's this right here, encouragement. Let's all just say that out loud together. Ready, let's go. Encouragement, right? I mean, we've heard of it, we've talked about it before, but encouragement is the potential that you have and I have to change a life. And I guarantee you that if we had open mic day here at the Creek Church, which we will never have, but if we had open mic day here at the Creek Church and we said, hey, tell your story, I guarantee you somewhere beneath the layers of your story, once upon a time, there was a somebody, there was a someone, there was a her, there was a him that said something to you, did something for you. And you look back on your life at this point and you realize, you know what? That changed my life. You didn't realize it at the moment. You, you didn't appreciate the enormity of it or the profundity of it. But looking back on it, you're like, you know what? They changed my life. That one phrase, that one event, that one trip, that one conversation, it changed 
my life. And maybe even for some, it was in the darkest, most desperate hours that you had ever lived and someone came along and offered you encouragement. And looking back now, you knew some of the thoughts that were going on in your head and you knew some of the choices you were trying to make, what you were gonna do concerning your life. And someone came along and offered encouragement to you. And all of a sudden, you began to feel different. You began to see things different. And now you look back on what could have been the end of your life. But because someone came along and offered you encouragement, they didn't even know where you were in your mind. They didn't even know what was going on in your heart. But they just came along, they offered you encouragement. And looking back now, you think about that person and you think, you know what? They saved my life. They not only changed my life, but they saved my life. That's the power of encouragement. That when we decide to give encouragement to someone else, it will absolutely make their day better. Whenever you receive encouragement, here's what I know, it makes your day better. Maybe just a little better, but it's still better. And when you give encouragement to other people, not only will you make their day better, but in some profound way, in some meaningful way, in some significant way, it will begin to make your life better. Just not your day better, but your life better. Because when you give encouragement to someone else, you are pushing them in the direction of better, towards purpose, towards value, towards significance. And it will not be lost on you when you give encouragement away. Now, a few things about it. Everyone needs encouragement. Okay, everyone, it doesn't matter how wealthy they are, how poor they are, it doesn't matter how successful they are or how unsuccessful they are, it does not matter. If they have a pulse, if they're walking around, if they're breathing, if they're talking, they are someone who needs encouragement. You are someone who needs encouragement. Now we don't go around, you know, it's just not one of those things that we say, you know, boy, I could really stand some encouragement today. I don't know, it's just one of those weird things we don't say out loud. But you know how hungry and how thirsty you are for encouragement. Because for some of you, you feel like you're living in a desert when it comes to encouragement. You feel like you've been experiencing a famine of encouragement. But if you can just put all of that aside to say, well, who's encouraging me? That's the wrong mindset. That's the wrong question. And stop thinking about who's not encouraging you or who could encourage you and just put a pause on that type of thinking and start thinking about, okay, if everybody is someone who needs encouragement, what can I do to help solve that problem? Because every single person needs someone to believe in them. To believe in someone is a powerful thing. And we'll talk more about that in just a moment. Everybody needs someone to be a voice of reassurance or reinforcement in their life to say, hey, you're doing a good job. Hey, keep it up. Hey, I've noticed this, I appreciate this. Hey, job well done, don't let up. You're making a difference. Everybody needs a voice of reassurance and reinforcement in their life. It doesn't matter how tough they appear to be on their exterior. It doesn't matter how stoic they may be or how independent or strong they may come across. Everybody needs that. Everybody at some point in their life will need some help in picking up the broken pieces of what they dropped to the ground or threw to the ground and it shattered into a million pieces. They're gonna need somebody to come along and help them pick up the broken pieces and figure out how to move on from there. Everybody needs encouragement. Now there's a lot in the Bible about encouragement, but one particular verse that I wanna use to launch out into this conversation today, and it comes out of the book of Hebrews. We're not sure who wrote the book of Hebrews, but the writer of the book of Hebrews, he said this, and we pick it up in the middle of a thought. 
He says, see to it. So this is something that's important. He says, so see to this, because this is a big deal. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. Now, time out, hold on. This is just extra. If he says, see to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. Do you know what that, in my mind, the way my brain works, that says that anyone is at risk. If he says, see to it, that none of you, then it must be that all of you are at risk. All of us are at risk of turning away from the living God with an unbelieving heart. So he says, see to it. Because this is a risk for anybody who walks by faith and walks in faith, that you can begin to drift away. And that's what he's been talking about in Hebrews, beginning in chapter two. He's talked about a group of men and women who got distracted, they, they got discouraged, and they began to drift into dangerous waters. They, they became a ship without an anchor, and so they drifted into dangerous waters. And the dangerous waters were rebellion and unbelief and depression and all of those bad things that all seemingly oftentimes travel together. He says, see to it that you don't drift into those waters. See to it that you don't drift away from God because when you drift away from God in unbelief, when that happens, anything can happen. So he says, see to it. And so this is like a warning. And this ought to be, you know, that moment we read the back of the bottle and we're like, warning. I don't know if I want to take it anymore. Uh, you know, th this is this warning that should cause us all to kind of just sober up for just a moment. Like, wow, you mean I could turn away from the living God? You mean I could drift away with an unbelieving heart? Yes, so if I'm at risk and if you're at risk, and now that we're all kind of paying attention and we all kind of feel the weight of what he's saying, he says, okay, now I want to tell you how to prevent it because it's preventable. Even though everyone's at risk from drifting away from the living God in unbelief and drifting into waters of rebellion and faithlessness and unbelief, even though anybody's at risk, let me tell you how to prevent it for everyone. And he goes on in verse 13, he says, but encourage. This is the antidote, this is the vaccine, but encourage one another, how often? Daily, as long as it's called, there's our word for this series, today. Encourage one another daily, especially today. Why? Because today is all we've got. Encourage one another daily as long as it's called today so that none of you, since all of you are at risk, the point is encourage every single one of you so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. And so this is a really big deal. This is about discipleship. This is about the relationships within the local church. This is about relationship among friends who follow Jesus together. He says, this is a really big deal because you can keep one another from drifting towards destructive mindsets. You can keep one another from drifting towards destructive patterns of behavior. You can keep each other from drifting towards unbelief. You have the power, you have the capacity to prevent one another from drifting towards unbelief simply by giving encouragement to the people in your life daily, daily, beginning today. Now, one writer I was reading about when it comes to encouragement said, and I love this, it's what takes the sting out of life. It's what takes the sting out of life. Life stings, life's tough. You know, sometimes life is tougher than at other times, but man, I'm telling you, life is tough. If you've discovered that life is tough, give me an, oh yeah. Okay, all right, there it is. And the rest of you, you're just, obviously you've not lived yet, but it is a fact of life. Life is tough, life stings. Being a teenager, it stings. Being in your 20s, it stings. Being in your 30, life still stings. 40s, it still stings. I'm not to 50 yet, but I guarantee you, I have a sneaky suspicion 
that life stings all throughout. It's tough, it's hard, but encouragement, it takes a little bit of the sting out of life. It doesn't change the fact that life happens. I mean, life happens, it's gonna continue to happen. Bad things are gonna happen to good people, good things are gonna happen to bad people, all the things that drive us crazy. But encouragement comes along and takes a little bit of the sting out of life. Encouragement is when we build each other up into this piece of magnificent architecture instead of tearing each other down to a pile of rubble. And we've all been around those types of people and maybe even been in that type of church before where people just, they tore each other down, tore each other down, tore each other down until everybody's just a bunch of pieces lying on the ground. But encouragement is building up and it's building something strong and it's building something beautiful and it's building something that can endure the sting of life. Encouragement is blessing someone. It's blessing someone to their face and behind their back. It's not cursing someone to their face or behind their back. It's, it's blessing them. It's speaking good. It's speaking life over them. It's speaking of the good in their life. It's speaking of the good that they've brought your life. And that's what encouragement does. It, it, it helps us deal with life because life is relentless. And life comes along and it tries to take out your hope. Life comes along and it tries to stake out, take out your courage. And life comes along and it tries to take out your passion. So what does encouragement do? It deposits all of those things in the person you're giving encouragement to. It deposits passion in their life. When they're you know, ready to quit, ready to walk away, you know, they think this is not for me, I, I'm not making a difference, you know, who am I kidding? Nobody notices, nobody knows. You come along, you offer encouragement, you put passion, you put fuel down in the tank. You put courage down in their tank and you put hope down in their tank. You come alongside of them and you say, you know what? Don't give up, don't give in, keep going. Keep moving in the direction of better. That's encouragement, that's how it works. And when you're low, when you're low on hope and when you're low on courage and when you're low on passion, here's an observation. When people are low on those things, passion, courage, and hope, they almost always drift away from their purpose. Almost always. You find a person who was once passionate, but now they're full of apathy. You find a person who used to be bold and courageous, but now they're kind of timid. You find a person who was always very hopeful about the future, and now they're cynical and they're negative. You'll almost always find that person drifting away from their purpose, not towards their purpose. And so the power of encouragement is that you bring people the courage and the hope and the passion that they need to keep tracking in the direction of their God-given purpose. And that's what the writer of Hebrews is talking about. And so by the time he gets to chapter 10 and he's kind of teased this idea out and a whole lot of other ideas along the way, he says, so let us think of ways. Let us think of ways. Because th this is just not natural and this is not personality driven. Let us think of ways, because this is awfully important that we give some thought to this. Let us think of ways to motivate one another, to motivate one another, to acts of love and to good works. You know what he's referring to? He's talking about the life that Jesus invites us to, rich and satisfying, abundant, grand, a life that spills out and over into the lives of other people, a life of passion and purpose, a life that makes a difference, a life that counts. He says, so let us think about ways that you can motivate each other, that we can motivate one another towards acts of love and good works because the other side of the coin is if we don't encourage one another, if we don't think about how to motivate each other, we're gonna lose motivation 
And when we lose our motivation or lack motivation, we're not gonna be moving towards acts of love or good works. So he says, this is how we get in each other's corner. This is how we watch each other's back. This is how we make sure that we take responsibility on some level for each other. That we think about how can I motivate you? How can I motivate those around me towards acts of love and good service? How do we do that? Well, he tells us to think about that. But he goes on without really you know, telling us that much more. And in verse 25, he says, and let us not neglect our meeting together. And he's talking about the local church. He's talking about believers getting together. He says, and let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do. He says, some people just stopped getting together. Some people, you know, they just didn't see the value in getting together with other believers. They just didn't think the local church was that important. He says, so some stopped. He says, but for those of you, who refused to neglect meeting together, he says, encourage one another because there is something encouraging that happens when God's people get together. There's something encouraging when people who have shared passion and purpose get together. There's something that happens when motivated people get together, maybe even with people that are not that motivated. There's something synergistically that happens. There's something that happens relationally. There's something that happens perhaps even spiritually where we make weak people stronger We give people who have apathy a little bit of passion. People who've lost their courage, some courage spills out over into their life and some people who are just walking around cynical and hopeless, they walk away from that meeting, they walk away from that conversation, they walk away from that assembly, they walk away and they think, you know what? I feel a little better about things. He says, encourage one another, especially now, or I think we can put in there, especially today, especially today that now that the day of his return is drawing near. And I think this is the writer of Hebrews, this is his way of saying, encouragement has never been more important. It's mission critical. I, I, I've joked forever, I, I always told people my, my gift out of Romans 12 was I had the gift of encouragement. And you know, Allison would always remind me you're wrong and, and you don't. And, you know, and some of you, you may think, well, I'm great at encouraging. Well, you probably should ask some people around you and they may tell you that you're not. But the thing about this is I'm not talking about a gift of encouragement. I'm talking about a choice to encourage. And, and the reason that it's mission critical is because it moves people towards their purpose. It moves people in the direction of following Jesus. It moves people with steps of courage and hope and passion where people experience the life that Jesus invited us to experience. That's the reason it's mission critical because if you have a bunch of Christians who aren't following in the way of Jesus, then you've got a bunch of Christians who are not gonna fulfill their God-given purpose. So this is our way of making sure that the purpose of the local church is carried out. This is our way of making sure that the purpose of the local church is running at its highest efficiency point. This is our way of moving faith forward into the future. And so he says, look around, you know, Jesus is coming soon. How can you know? Look at how crazy things are. Look at how crazy things have been. And if you needed a reminder about how important it is to encourage other people, then just listen to the news. Just take a look around, read a newspaper, read a blog, look at the news section, the news app on your iPhone or iPad. Just take a moment and look around. He says, then you will be reminded of how important it is to encourage someone today. 
Don't look around and just let it do something to you in the sense that it sucks all of your courage, hope, and passion out. Use it as a reminder that you need to spur on, stir up, fire up, persuade the people that are in your life to move in the direction of their God-given purpose. So we find this idea of encouragement all throughout the New Testament. Paul, he wrote this. He says, so encourage each other and build each other up just as you are already doing. He says, so when you're encouraging, you're building up. When you don't encourage, life is tearing down. Discouragers, and there's always discouraging people, they're tearing down. So you need to get busy. You need to get busy building people up. So when we read the scriptures and, and, you know, we flip through the pages of the New Testament, we try to find out, you know, what's the local church supposed to be doing? What the local church, you know, what, what are we supposed to be busy doing? And, and there's a whole bunch of one another's in the New Testament. And in the New Testament, we're told that we ought to do things like this. We ought to pray for one another. Why would the New Testament tell us to pray for one another? Because praying for one another is an act of encouragement. And just not praying for one another from afar but praying for each other up close and personal, praying for each other where the other person can hear it. Isn't it true that a very encouraging thing is when someone perhaps grabbed you by the hand, put their hand on your shoulder, or now in these days stood six feet apart, you know, with a mask on and said, hey, can I pray for you? And then they prayed for you, they called out your name out of their own heart to God, and they prayed to God about your situation. And all of a sudden, it wasn't like anything changed, but you walked away and you felt like something had changed, though nothing had changed. That's the power of encouragement. That when somebody says, hey, will you pray for me about this? Let me, let me give you a good piece of advice. Just go ahead and do it right then. Chances are you're gonna forget about it and not do it. And then you lied to them. So if you're at Walmart, I pray with more people at Walmart than I do in the local church, hands down. Kroger, hey, might as well be my office. People now call and say, hey, can I get an appointment with the pastor? Just be at Kroger between four and 4.45. Spends a lot of time at the meat aisle and over there, you know, in the veggies. So go meet him there. But if somebody says, hey, can you pray with me about this? Go ahead and pray with them about it right there. It's a way of encouraging people. The New Testament says, hey, carry one another's burdens. And that can mean lots of different things, but you come alongside and you try to help somebody. That's a way of encouraging somebody. When you forgive somebody because they failed or they messed up or they said something they shouldn't have or they just acted like a, and you forgive someone, that's an act of encouragement. And so the New Testament gives us all of these applications that keep on coming back to the same place, which is encourage one another. And then when we read the scripture, we find all kinds of encouragers and we find encouragers that we didn't even know were necessarily encouragers. Job, when we think about Job, we think about a man who suffered terribly, but we don't really think about a man who was an encourager. But there's a verse in the book of Job, matter of fact, two verses in the book of Job that I think pulls back the curtain and shows us what encouragement looks like. And this is what it says about Job in chapter four. One of his friends said, in the past, you have encouraged many people. You've strengthened those who are weak. That's encouragement. It makes the weak stronger. He says, your words have supported those who were falling. You encourage those with shaky knees. I mean, that's a great visual of what encouragement is. You're helping those who are weak. You're helping those who are falling. You're helping those who've lost their courage and they're, they're fearful. They're so afraid they're not even living life. We see Job as an encourager. Jonathan, the son of King Saul, who was best friend to David and 
And David was viewed as a threat by King Saul and King Saul was trying to kill David, you know, over and over again. So him and 600 of his men were out roaming the countryside, you know, trying to be incognito, trying to, you know, go underneath the radar and trying to stay away from Saul. And Jonathan comes at great risk to himself, comes to David and says, Jonathan went to David and he encouraged him to stay strong in his faith in God. David, I know life stings right now. I know that my dad's trying to kill you and I know that it seems like everything is working against you, but I want you to stay strong. I don't want you to quit. I don't want you to give up. You will be the next king of Israel. I've got your back. I want you to know I'm in this for you. I'm in your corner. I'm taking care of you. I'm gonna let you know what you need to know when you need to know it. I'm in your corner. I'm for you. And so he encouraged David. That, that's what encouragers do. When people are in a bad place, people are in a bad season of life, they come alongside, they seek you out, they come alongside and they say, you know what, I know it's easy to give up right now, but don't give up. I know it's easy to perhaps think about walking away and that's the best thing, but don't walk away. And all throughout the scripture, there's people like Aaron and Ur who held up, you know, the arms of Moses or Elizabeth that encouraged Mary once she found out, you know, the terrifying news that she was pregnant as a virgin, you know, with the son of God. There was Elijah who mentored and encouraged Elisha or Moses who you know, encouraged Joshua or David who encouraged Solomon, his son, as a father. And it's all throughout the scripture, encouragers who help move other people further into their purpose, closer to God in faith. That's the power of encouragement because half of the wonderful stories that you and I love in the scripture wouldn't be there if there wasn't also an encourager somewhere in the story that made the actual story that you love so much possible. But when it comes to encouragement, there's no other illustration that I could give us. There, there's no other person that I could say, hey, here's who I point to, to say this, this is why you know, encouragement is so important. This is what it looks like. This is how we do it. Other than the guy in the New Testament whose actual nickname was son of encouragement. Barnabas. Barnabas who changed the world. Barnabas who saved the world because he decided to give away encouragement. And when he decided to give away encouragement, I don't think in any of these instances did he realize the difference that encouragement was ultimately going to make at the end of his life or at the end of the story that he was a part of. This is where we find Barnabas' story, Acts chapter four, it says, Joseph, that was his real name, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles nicknamed Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. He sold a field that he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Now, a few things to point out because we're not gonna stay long on any of these things because I've got five things at the end of this uh, message that I want to give to you that will make this thing called encouragement so much easier. But a couple of things to notice about this. The people who knew Barnabas best nicknamed him the son of encouragement. Now, something to think about. Have you noticed that oftentimes we find it easier to encourage people we barely know than the people who are closest to us? Have you ever noticed that it's those acquaintances from out there among the peripheral of life, out there, you know, in the extended circumference of our life that we find, you know, it easier to say, hey, great job. We find it easier to say, hey, don't give up. Sometimes we find it a little bit more challenging, a little bit more awkward, a little bit more difficult to have those conversations with the people who are in our inner circles. Sometimes we find it difficult to express ourselves like that to the people who are closest to us. But when it came to Barnabas, the people who knew him best got the best of his encouragement. 
He didn't give his best encouragement to the people furthest away. He gave his best encouragement to the people who were closest to him. And the people who were closest to him, when they thought about Barnabas, they said, man, what an encouragement. Encourager. He's a real son of encouragement, I'm telling you, Barnabas is. He's incredible. That's what they thought of when they thought about Barnabas. That's what his closest friends thought of when they thought about Barnabas. What if, what if, I'm just saying what if, what if when we thought about our closest friends, one of the first thing that came to mind about why they are our closest friends, what if when we thought about our closest friends, one of the first thoughts that came to our mind is they are our biggest encourager. They're our biggest encourager. Nobody gives me more encouragement than him. Nobody gives me more encouragement than her. What if your closest friends began to think about you as their biggest, co- their biggest cheerleader, their biggest encourager? That's the principle that he introduces us to is this, that we should work the hardest to encourage those who are the closest. We should work the hardest to encourage the people who are closest to us. That's at home, that's at the office, that's with close friends. I mean, imagine how much better everybody's gonna be because of that decision. You're gonna be a better father, better mother because you decided to be an encourager to your children. Do you know that your son and daughter needs an encourager? Do you know that your son and daughter needs a cheerleader? Yeah, they need someone to correct and they need someone you know, to discipline. They need all of that too, but they need an encourager. They need a father that comes alongside and says, that's an incredible job. I'm so proud of you. You should do this more often because you're so good at it. I mean, our families would be better for it. Perhaps the culture at your office would be better for it. Maybe some of those people that get on your nerves at the office, if you actually decided you were gonna start encouraging them, perhaps they would irritate you just a little bit less if you decided to encourage them just a little bit more. And if we decided to give the people closest to us the most encouragement, I tell you, I think everybody would be the better for it. So here's what I think you should do because Barnabas did it. I think you and I should start a decision today that says, you know what, the people who are closest in my life, those are the people that I'm gonna give the most encouragement to. I'm gonna be intentional about it. I'm gonna be purposeful. I'm gonna think it through. I'm just not gonna let the opportunity fade. I think it oftentimes and I feel it, but I hardly ever say it, but I'm just gonna start saying, I'm gonna flex the muscle between my heart and my mouth. And I'm just gonna start saying some of those good things that I think about the people that I love the most. Now, second thing is that Barnabas, he blessed the local church because of his generosity. He sold a field and he helped fund the vision. He sold a field, he, fund, he funded the church. And so he encouraged the whole church through an act of generosity. And so he's encouraging people relationally. He's encouraging people financially. And so Barnabas is helping the church move forward. And he's helping the church move forward by encouraging the people in the church and encouraging the church itself. Now, the church begins to grow, persecution breaks out, a guy by the name of Saul of Tarsus, you've heard of him, he is the architect of this persecution, but then the craziest thing happened, Saul got saved, he met Jesus on the road to Damascus, and all of a sudden, Saul becomes Paul, and he went from being a terrorist to being a preacher to being a missionary, Uh, and then Paul, once he got saved, he started preaching up in Damascus, and then sooner or later, he decided, you know what, I need to leave Damascus, and I need to go down to Jerusalem, I need to meet the apostles, because that's where the action's at. Those are the guys who know Jesus the best, They, they were with him. And it says, when he, Saul, came to Jerusalem, after he got saved on the road to Damascus, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him. They were skeptical, they were cynical, not believing, they didn't believe the guy, that he really was a disciple. 
Saul walks in and says, guys, you know me. I've been locking your kind up. I've even killed a few. But the craziest thing happened to me. And he tells them his story. And the apostles look at each other. Maybe they ask him to leave the room. And then maybe they had a conversation. But at the end of that conversation, they decide, we're not buying it. We don't believe it. Somebody like you, changing. Somebody like you, turning over a new leaf. Somebody like you, getting their act together. Somebody like you, moving forward. Not a chance. But it says in the next verse, but Barnabas. But Barnabas took him. Brought him to the apostles, almost as if they had dismissed Saul. So we don't believe in Saul leaves heavy hearted, head hanging down low. But Barnabas took him and brought him back to the apostles. And he told him how Saul on his journey, how he'd seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus that he'd preached fearlessly. Barnabas, he believed in Saul when the apostles didn't. Barnabas was able to see something in Saul's life that nobody else could see because Barnabas had tuned himself to be a person of encouragement. He had tuned himself to be able to see the potential in someone, to look beyond their problems, to look beyond their dysfunction, to look beyond their past, but to be able to see their potential. Yeah, he saw a bad guy who had done some bad things, but he saw a bad guy who had done some bad things who could do even better things, who could do some great things. So he went in there to the apostles and he risked a lot. And he stood up for Paul and he went to bat for Paul. And he says, you know what, guys, I'm gonna put my endorsement on this guy. I believe what he says. I've watched him. I've got close enough to know. I've seen some of the changes that he's told you about. So I vouch for this guy. I'm here to say, you need to bring him in because this guy, he can help the cause. Think about how passionate he was to stomp us out. Now imagine how passionate he can be now that he's on our side. And so Barnabas, he teaches us this idea that we should fight for the people that we believe in. You believe in, don't fight for people you don't believe in. But if you don't believe in anybody, well, that's a problem in and of itself. If you can't allow yourself to see the potential in people because of their past or the potential in people because of some of the problems that they still have in their life, well, that's your problem. But if there are people that you believe in, if there are people that you see struggling and striving to make forward progress, and you've seen them do some hard things and to make some difficult changes, and you have the opportunity to endorse them, you have the opportunity to bring them to the table, you have an opportunity to get them an audience with somebody they can't get an audience with by themselves, then you do that. That's how we encourage, we fight for the people we believe in. And if you believe in somebody, you stand up for them. If you believe in somebody, you speak up for them when their voice doesn't matter and their opinion doesn't count. That's how we encourage, that's how Barnabas encouraged. Imagine how many people, how many people have been looked over? How many people have been dismissed? How many people have been stereotyped and expelled or excommunicated? Because there wasn't enough people to see the potential in what they could bring. What if more would be like Barnabas? How many Saul's have walked in before the apostles of the church since then? And they could have been the greatest asset to that local church, perhaps the greatest gift to that local church, but the apostles of the day look at each other, confer in all of their wisdom and say, no, not a chance. Do you know who they are? Do you know what they've done? Have you seen their credit score? Do you know what happened back? I knew them back when they were a junior in college and I'll tell you, and, you know, so we probably need to keep our distance. Can you imagine how many times 
that that's taken place and we lost a Paul, we lost a Paulette somewhere along the way because nobody would stand up, nobody would believe in them. A lot of you, you've never had somebody believe in you and you know the pain of that, you know the sting of that. Well, there's a lot of people who've never had anybody believe in them. There's a lot of people that's never had anybody go to bat for them or to take a risk for their sake. But encouraging someone, well, you believe in them. And when you believe in them and you keep believing in them in time, other people will believe in them. And perhaps they'll even believe in themselves. And this moment right here, Barnabas saying, hey, we need to let this guy in, changed history. Saul became Paul and became the greatest force for good in the New Testament, would plant more churches than anybody else in the New Testament, perhaps in the history of the Christian church. So Saul starts preaching, the apostles, because people are trying to kill him now, they send him up to Tarsus. He disappears for about 10 years. Then all of a sudden revival breaks out north of Jerusalem at a town called Antioch. Up until this point, the church has just been Jewish people, but now all of a sudden non-Jewish people start getting saved. Gentiles start flooding into the church, it's messy. there's a lot of tension because Jewish people and Gentile people, they never got together. They wouldn't eat with one another. They wouldn't sit with one another. Jewish people wouldn't even touch a Gentile or buy merchandise from a Gentile. I mean, there was all kinds of prejudices and stereotypes and walls between those two groups of people. But all of a sudden now up in Antioch, we got Jewish people and we've got Gentile people getting saved together, getting baptized together, sitting beside of each other in the local weekend service up in Antioch. So this was a big deal. And it was either the greatest risk to the church or perhaps the greatest gift to the church. And maybe at the same time, it was a little bit of both. And nobody knew what to do with it. So they sent for the apostles to, you know, kind of give their approval or disapproval. And it says news of this reached to the church in Jerusalem. And they say, hey, there's all this stuff going on up in Antioch. It's kind of getting a little wild up there. It's kind of getting out of control. So they decided, well, let's send Barnabas. This sounds like a job for Barnabas. It says, when he arrived and he saw the grace of God, what the grace of God had done, he was glad and he was encouraged. And he encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all of their hearts. So he goes up there. Barnabas could have made the deal or broke the deal. And he walks in and he sees all these Jewish people and Gentile people hanging out together. He knew that could be the worst thing in the world. This could be a powder keg getting ready to explode. This could destroy everything. But he looked and he said, This is gonna change everything. This is not gonna be easy. This is not gonna be without challenge, but this right here, this is beautiful. And this is gonna change the future of the church. And it did because he wasn't threatened by new and he wasn't threatened by different. He wasn't threatened by a revolution of change. It didn't bother him that social barriers were being broken down or social stereotypes were being put aside. He said, no, this is great. We need some more of this. And so we encourage them, keep it up. The principle is this right here. Encourage what's right more than you critique what's wrong. Was there things wrong there? Absolutely. Was there things that need to be corrected and changed? Absolutely. But encourage what's right more than you critique what's wrong. That's encouragement. That's deciding to be an encourager because the whole thing was messy. Here, here's my question. What if we decided to point out what was right more than what's wrong? As parents, as friends, as church people, as people in general? What if, what if when we saw right, we were as moved to celebrate it and reward it as we're moved when we see something wrong, that it irritates us, agitates us, and we wanna change it? What if we could get there? 
Barney and Saul, well, they become the best of friends. And no wonder he went to bat for him. Saul becomes Paul, becomes a preacher. They go out on a missionary journey. They start all of these churches. And at the end of their journey, they come back to Antioch. They tell everybody, hey, this is what happened. Then Paul says, hey, Barn, let's go out again. Let's go see those churches again. And this is where we leave it. And this is kind of what I think is the, the hallmark of what made Barnabas Barnabas. After their missionary journey, it says, sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let us go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. Barnabas wanted to take his cousin, John Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it was wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. So John Mark had been a deserter. He walked away. <laughs> he was on duty and he checked out. He says they had such a sharp disagreement, Paul and Barnabas, the best of friends, such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Imagine that, the apostle Paul and the son of encouragement, they couldn't get together on this. They debated each other so hotly, they had to just basically part ways. It says, but Barnabas took John Mark and sailed for Cyprus. Now, I'll tell you the end of the story quickly because I'm out of time. Barnabas looked at John Mark and said, yeah, he deserted us. He failed us in Pamphylia. But let me tell you, he's still got a future. Paul said, I don't want to carry him. He's dead weight. He can't be depended upon. He dropped the ball once. He'll drop it again. He did it once. He's likely to do it again. I don't want him anywhere around. And those two men couldn't get together on it. Barnabas said, well, let me take him. And so Paul took Silas and took Timothy and the two parted ways. So who was right? I don't know if it's a matter who's right, but Paul had a good point and so did Barnabas, but Barnabas in the end, he proved to be true to who he was, a son of encouragement. John Mark, you may know him because he wrote a book that the whole world's read. It's called The Gospel of Mark. He ended up being a companion of Peter in 1 Peter. Peter referenced him as a son. And John Mark, who Paul was ready to discard and throw away, Barnabas said, oh no, this guy's got a future. And did he? He did have a future. He wrote the gospel of Mark. And that book has been circulated all around the world. If Paul would have had his way, who's to say what would happen to John Mark? But Paul learned his lesson because when Paul was dying or getting ready to be killed in 2 Timothy chapter 4, he said, I want you to bring to me my books and I would love for you to send John Mark as well because he's profitable for me, for the ministry. Paul even himself realized, boy, I misjudged that one. Thank God Barnabas knew better. He knew better because he decided to be an encourager. Let me give you five things. This is all you have to do. All you have to do. You write these five things down, take a snapshot of it, memorize it, whatever you want to do. These five things, it's super easy, super applicable. Anybody can do it. Number one, give encouragement with your ears. Listen, be a better listener. Somebody tells you a story, you listen. Somebody tells you what's going on in their life, listen. Don't be thinking about what you're going to say next or how you're going to rebut or how you're going to correct. No, just give encouragement with your ears. Few people have somebody that will truly listen to them. Be that person. Second thing, give encouragement with your time. Give some people time. Go out for coffee. Go out for dinner. Take a vacation. Give somebody your time. When you give somebody your time, you're giving them your life. That's all you've got. It's your most precious resource. So give encouragement with your time. Parents, time with your children. Hey, time with friends. Time with your employees. Hey, time with the people who work on your team. 
Give encouragement with your time. Third, give encouragement with your smile. Even in the days of wearing masks, smile with your eyes. You know, Shepard looked at me the other day. He said, Dad, watch, I can smile with my eyes. And he goes, I was like, you really can. It's great. I've tried it. I, I don't have the same ability. But give encouragement with your smile. Let somebody see, hey, I'm enjoying what you're saying. I'm enjoying what you're doing. Four, give encouragement with your resources. Pay for somebody's dinner. Pay for somebody's vacation. Do something special for somebody and spend a little money. Whenever you invest your resources in somebody, it's encouraging. And then fifth of all, you know this one. Give encouragement with your words because you have the power of life and death in your mouth. You have the power to speak healing to people. Your words can be like honey, the writer of Proverbs says, that it's sweet to the soul and it's sweet to the bones. That's the power of your words. So think about how you can use your words to encourage the people in your life, to speak life to them, to build them up and not tear them down, to bless them and not to curse them, to lighten their load, not to crush them. Use your words to give appreciation for what people do. Now I'm gonna, th this, is, this is my shortcoming. I'm good at giving appreciation for what people do. I say thank you for what people do oftentimes, but encouragement with our words goes beyond that. And I thought about this this week and a couple of weeks ago, and I'm like, this is the part I'm not good at. This is the part, this is the part I need to work on. You encourage people with your words by giving appreciation for what they do, but you encourage people with your words by giving affirmation for who people are. And that's the part that I struggle with. Giving affirmation to who people are saying, you know what, you're brilliant. You're gifted. You're the, you're the most generous, kind person I've ever met. You speak to who they are, just not what they've done. Most of us, I think we appreciate what people do and we even say thank you. But going a step further to affirm who people are, like you're incredibly creative. You're, 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 do you know how good you are at that? Do you know the difference you're making? Oh my gosh, to take a step in beginning to affirm who someone is. So, so here's, here's the homework for today's sermon. And, and it's not your normal sermon and we're not gonna end it the normal way, but I want you to think about your starting five. Starting five, outside of your home, because that's a given. I want you to think about the five people that you need to take personal responsibility for as it relates to encouragement. Five people, maybe you work with them, maybe you're friends with them. Five people that you're gonna to decide today, you know what, I'm, I'm gonna be their biggest cheerleader. If they don't get encouragement from anywhere else, they are gonna get encouragement from me. I'm gonna text it, I'm gonna write it, I'm gonna speak it. But five people, I want you to think about who they are and I want you to write them down at some point. I want you to think about five people that you're gonna take personal responsibility for to say, you know what? I'm gonna encourage them as often as I possibly can. And I might even tell them, you're one of my five. And a year from now, when you think about me, I want you to think about me as your biggest supporter, your biggest encourager, your biggest cheerleader, five. That's all you gotta do is just pick five and then decide today to be an encourager because you could change a life and you might even save a life. Father, it's simple, it's straightforward. God, I pray that we'll all make a commitment to do better at encouragement. I'm convinced we think it. I'm convinced that many feel it, 
But God, something happens and we just don't express it. We just, we just don't say it. We don't write it. We, so God, I pray we get better at that. I pray that we'll take a step today, encourage each other today, because this is all we've got. And if we encourage each other, who knows what we're saving each other from? I pray we get this right in Jesus' name. And everybody said, 